Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to the overlap. I'm of course joined by Rion, and I've decided to go for an outfit change this week. Um, it has been hello, hello, okay. Well, hello, Jero. Um, wow, that really threw me off. I'm not gonna lie, but we're gonna keep it in there. Uh, if you are not actually looking at the screen, one of Rion's cats just fully yeeted himself across the, and now Rion's phone is going on, like just. A lovely start to the first thirty seconds of this podcast. Have you have you forgotten how to mute your phone? Has that like did that escape you when you went through the Apple Care class like twelve years ago? <laughs> no, I don't, I don't know. I don't even know what happened. I think uh, I think when Sheba walked across the the computer, he hit play and then started playing <laughs> my Spotify. Convenient, <laughs> very convenient, and very likely story. Way to blame it on someone that actually cannot defend itself, um, but. <laughs> Anyway, we're going we're gonna to keep all this in. I'm just going to roll with it. Um, welcome back. We are back from our travels this time around. No more audio issues beyond the potential sirens that you can hear outside of our apartments. Um, beyond that, welcome back. We are talking all about the Premier League and more about La Liga this week because of the audio issues from last week. It got cut off and it was a whole mess. Shout out to Chromebooks. Um, but in the meantime, <laughs> Rian... Um, I just wanted to show you, I think I showed you offline, but this brand new Eagles sweatshirt, which or it's a crew neck, I guess, but it is absolutely phenomenal. Um, I absolutely love it. Even though, What is the difference between a sweatshirt and a crew neck? I guess to me, a sweatshirt implies having a hoodie. That's the only difference in my uh, opinion. Okay, okay. But like crew neck is just, just a sweater. I've, I've a crew neck called, and sweater. Yeah. I've always called what people call crew necks sweatshirts. So that uh, I've I've always been like a little like, confused. <laughs> you're, why you're not a conformist. Names like <laughs> it's just like the way like growing up that that was not what anyone in my family called that. Like crew right. neck was a very new term that I that I learned. Like <laughs> I feel like maybe like sometime around like high school. I'm uh, I'm just gonna note down <clears throat> Rian Trim, noted crew neck hater. Thank you. That's uh, <laughs> no, just absolutely un- just. just <laughs> Just like uh, lacks understanding for why we have <laughs> why 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 a sweatshirt is the thing with a hood when that could just be a hoodie and then <laughs> and then we have a whole that's true other actually name for something that's more like a shirt like this should be a sweatshirt and a sweatshirt should be a hoodie yes is what I've always called them <laughs> correct I I can actually get on board with that uh, this is the riveting analysis that our fans uh, clearly come on to to listen about. But, <clears throat> Rian, you know what I'm, I'm very excited for um, in a couple of days? Um, I don't know if anyone listening will know this, but Rian and I get spent a whole super fun day together. We are going to see the U.S. play Germany in a lovely friendly, not too far away from where we live. And, yeah, we're, I'm, at least I'm super excited. Uh, yeah. Shout out to Rian for, for planning and uh Putting that all together, um, he's also forced me to listen to a multitude of podcasts in preparation. No, not actually, but um, <laughs> like he is one, certainly, yeah, yeah, like at minimum one, and of which I've actually listened to like three. But <laughs> besides the point, um, let's talk a little bit about this past weekend set of games because we are very much in a in a mode where prior to this weekend, Rian, we we both kind of thought I think two similar things: a our game of the weekend, of course, being Arsenal City. I don't think either of us fully expected an Arsenal win, but I think we did both expect this game to be 
qu- quite frankly, extremely unentertaining. Um, and it, it was boy, at least one it. of those things. Boy, so, yeah. yeah, boy, boy was indeed. So, Rian, let's start. Let's start with Arsenal. Um, winners in the most unentertaining way, a deflected shot off of Ake's face-ish, was it? Or yeah. shoulder? Um, yeah, his face. Yeah. A p- poor man has put together in like the span of 10 months a couple of pretty horrendous highlight reels, despite being a very good goalkeeper. Uh, or excuse me, very good defender. Yeah, that, was like, um, yeah. <laughs> that was not the best goalkeeper, for, correct? <laughs> no, that was not. It was not. It was a Freudian slip. But now that Rian Arsenal and Spurs are actually taking up the top two spots in the table, does this win actually solidify your opinion about them potentially taking the edge over City for the title? Do you potentially believe there is another team like myself that might be in the running for the title this season? We did talk a little bit about City's upcoming, <clears throat> excuse me, upcoming fixture list, which I told you is wildly difficult. I don't know if that's the case for for Arsenal, Spurs, and Liverpool, quite frankly. So let's let's talk about it. What what do you think of Arsenal's win? Does it change your opinion on who will actually be Premier League champion? I I don't think so yet. Um, I mean, I think City still have to be the favorites and. Um, and the favorites by maybe not as much as I thought before, but I don't think this, I don't think necessarily this result changed that. Like whether, whether, you know, how much better city I thought city were than everything, but this result plus like going in and kind of digging a a bit more into how their season has gone so far, I think is, is maybe what I think that gap is potentially not as large as it was, I think last season between them and Arsenal. And I know that they only, they only end up winning the league by, I think it was like five or six points. So the gap already wasn't that large, but um, I do think that what we've seen from city so far this season, and maybe this game's a textbook kind of uh, one of the examples of it. I mean, this game overall was like you said, drab, like the, the teams combined <laughs> for, for 16 shots. Um, they, registered combined under one xg uh i like half jokingly four or five each or something right yeah i like half jokingly but not really um said on twitter that the crystal palace not in fours game was more exciting and that was a nil nil (laughs) draw uh that one had more more shots and like better chances created Mm just overall a more um i think more entertaining game but i think just going back to kind of like what this says about you know that gap at the top um i i know that city were missing rodri in this game we know and and they'll get him back and some other things will like rectify themselves just from him playing again and 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 not having to start um a very young nico lewis and and Mateo Kovacic in that double pivot, or I mean, Pep isn't even doing it anymore. But you know, playing the ghost of Calvin Phillips, um, like like that. That, just that man is a... getting a bag. I don't know what you're on about. Just leave him out of this. <laughs> he is. He is. I like honestly. Yeah, honestly. Like props <laughs> to him. Like the check clears. It really doesn't matter for him. Um, he's staying. He's literally just staying in shape and, and, and getting paid a lot of money for that. 
Uh, I mean, maybe Pep doesn't think he's quite as in shape, <laughs> but compared to us, staying in pretty good shape like, and getting paid for it. Yeah. Uh, but I, I do think there is maybe just a slight of bit, bit of concern for City um, in an attacking sense. You know, Rodri obviously would help in terms of you know, the midfielders get to push forward a bit more. Uh, a guy like Kovacic gets to push forward a bit more. He, he's pretty awkward playing, like, deep. Um, and, I mean, he, he literally almost got sent off. <laughs> he, like, probably do you, Well, do you think he, yeah, that was going to be um, my question. Yeah, I mean, I mean, I think even if you want to say that the first foul was borderline yellow, um, borderline red, I mean, even if you want to say that, um, the second foul was just was like stopping a counterattack. So I don't know why that one wasn't given as a yellow, but that's, that's all we're talking about. <laughs> not, not, I refuse, but, no. um, but no, I think just from city, not having De Bruyne for an extended amount of time, coupled with losing Gundogan as a whole um, this season, we, and, and not having Rodri for this game again. Correct. Yeah. Yeah. But I'm thinking like as the season as a whole for their attack, like sure. losing those two and De Bruyne and Gundogan, um, such a huge loss for, for one, like, I mean, the relationship that De Bruyne had with Holland and, mm-hmm. and we don't have to go too crazy about Holland because he is still leading the league in goals. <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, not, I'm not going to go crazy on that, but, uh, but losing that like chance creator, someone who had a really good relationship with him, especially in these bigger games we saw what happened um in the two games against arsenal last season how pivotal de bruyne and holland's relationship was losing that plus what gundawan gave to them as a guy who could play basically every position in midfield and then also if you need to come up with like 13 goal 12 13 yeah, goals in the season yeah. out of out of nothing as well yeah. mm-hmm. um i think those are playing pretty big roles in the fact that City right now are sixth in terms of open play XG and eighth in non-penalty XG um, in the league this season, categories that they were both first in last season. So I do think we're seeing a bit, now that we have like eight games, I, we have like a better sample size. We'll see how it continues throughout the throughout the season, of course, but this is a decent enough sample size for us to say, I, I think that their attack is some level worse than last season and the question is as i think it has been from preseason through the first few weeks of the season you and i've talked about it that attack being worse than last season closes a gap between arsenal and city and and i know that you want to talk about liverpool too but same same thing like it closes the gap between city and the rest of the league and the question is like how much of a gap is there now and of course is this all rectified by de bruyne coming back at some point or rodri coming back at some point all open questions but i don't think there's necessarily an easy answer to it i think i'll i'll maybe shed a little bit more of a positive light on city for a second and also give them a little bit of slack because we're talking about a city team that yes has lost kevin de bruyne for a large part of the season and 
obviously Gundogan is left city. And like I mentioned before, Rodri did, did not play this game. So you effectively had Bernardo Silva playing a deep lying role next to Rico Lewis and Kovacic, who is also a little bit deeper than he probably would have liked to your point. All three of those things are not going to lead to offensive output, regardless of how good Erling Holland, Phil Foden, etc., are. But the one bright spot that I would say for City has been Julian Alvarez for this entire season. He has seemingly scored every single game that he has played. Of course, scored a worldly last week in the Champions League. Um, and we're also talking about a player that can connect very well with Erling Holland as well. So it's not just that Kevin De Bruyne um, was kind of <laughs> Holland's only friend on the pitch, right? Like the, there are other players that can aid in that, but the loss of those two players, I really do think people have underestimated because I think a lot of people think of City as just this footballing machine, right? This pep-minded machine that can just churn out win after win after win. And in a lot of ways they can, but they do that by recruiting and bringing in the best of the best talent that fit a certain ideal or certain way of playing that Pep likes. And City weren't necessarily completely able to do that over the summer with the exception of Gavardiol, who played in this game. Uh, was he playing at like left back, I believe? Um, yeah. Or left, left I sided? Mean, City play with four center backs. Like, like right. They've been doing exactly. That's, that's what they've done the last two seasons. Exactly. Exactly. But like on, on the left side, which again, is where he plays for, Croatia so like it's not outlandish but point being there has been a, a drop off in offensive output and that's to be expected with the players that they did lose and the players that were playing in this game so I'm not necessarily overly surprised uh, by the drop off in um, open play XG and non-penalty XG what I am surprised about and what I think City fans should be excited about is Julian Alvarez's kind of burst onto the scene as a starter in the side because he has now been afforded that opportunity. Um, whether or not that's going to carry City, I really don't know through the end of the season, but I know we'll talk about this in our next point. Like I mentioned last week, I really do think people are somewhat underestimating Liverpool this season. Um, not No one, I think, is under, underestimating Spurs at this point because no one expected Spurs to be this good, um, but we'll get to the Liverpool piece. Yeah. Um, before we get to Liverpool... At least your thoughts on how Arsenal played in this game. Um, obviously, like they hadn't been City in twelve straight matches, so like just on, from a emotional point of view, a, a big win I think for them and their fans, and a, men a mental point of view as well. Um, but love to hear like your your thoughts. And I thought they were great defensively. Yeah, and the the game kind of was what it was. It was just a struggle. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. So. And that's that in some ways I think is the biggest piece to this, right? It's not that they just beat city for the first time in 12 matches. It's that Arsenal beat city in a very non Mikel Arteta way. And they were able to do it in a way that did not feel comfortable for them in the way that they played. They, they pressed well, they recovered the ball. Well, I thought in certain, you know, facets of the game, but in terms of, the way chances were created, if that many, and the way that they ultimately scored that goal, very un-Arsenal-like right now. And I think about this in, ironically enough, the way that this team, if you can't see me, I'm holding my Eagles jersey up. Um, but I think about the way that this the Eagles have performed this year, and I think there's some parallels. 
in that the Eagles have not looked their best this season uh, compared to last year, but they've found different ways to win on either sides of the ball, defensively and offensively. And I think Arsenal sort of showed that weirdly enough in this game. And the ability to do that throughout the season, I think is what can breed a really, really strong, long, long lasting team uh, over the course of a season. So mentally for, for Arsenal as a team, like that was, I don't think it was just huge. I think it was beyond huge. Um, Whether it's, whether it's going to carry them again to the end of the season, I think is really just a, a, a remains to be seen because we could be talking in the spring and say, you know what? Arsenal have just lost to city three, one and looked like shit. And all of that is undone. That's how quickly the season can turn around for teams at the top. Yeah. I, and that's, that's what the, that's the other thing that's in the, in my mind is like, I believe the last two seasons, City haven't looked their best in the first few months, first two to three months of the season. Um, so, like we're in a similar position, and the last couple seasons or season two seasons before this, they, but between Pep and his coaching staff and the players themselves, they figured out a different way to play they tweaked what 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 they're doing and went on a run and and i think we still have to give them that respect that pep Guardiola is a maniac he does overthink but he overthinks not in a bad way necessarily you know sometimes it's not in the best way but like he does that that overthinking is, is what makes him so good and what makes um his team be good for season on season on season because he's going to go back to the drawing board if this continues right um he's going to go back to the drawing board and they're going to figure out a different way to play and he almost has like a built-in way to like almost um so what's the word like I was thinking about like levers, not, not, not actually, not, not trying to make a Barcelona joke here, mm, but mm-hmm. <laughs> thinking about the levers that he can pull to just slightly change how the teams play. Like I, we said it, they're playing with four center backs right now. If he really feels like that is hampering them, that switch is not difficult to make, right? Like <laughs> It's not difficult to just change the form, change who's playing in the back line. Yeah. Right. Like, it, so I think like the solutions are there, you know, I mean, not, not like easy. I'm not saying the solutions are like easy, but saying that, that the option of changing how they play is there and it's not like necessarily rocket science. Right. So um, I guess it's about whether that change will be, will still be enough to kind of be that much better than everyone else to, to be able to win the league. But Again, I'm not really gonna bet against Pep Guardiola fit it, figuring out a different way for the team to play if they need if they need yeah. to. So. No, no. I mean, we've seen it almost every season for the last six, seven years. I have no reason to doubt it. So it's a great, great point. But for now, I think ultimately our Arsenal do have somewhat of a leg up on City. But in the long term, I feel like what we're both getting at is that that doesn't it doesn't necessarily matter for the long term right now. Um, one weekend changes everything. It's just, it's truly as simple as that, especially this early in the season. Um, yeah, it's 
look, it's a cliche, but it's truly not over till it's over. Uh, yeah, so let's yeah. not let's it's not get carried October. away. Yeah, it is still, October. We're literally yeah. halfway through October. <laughs> yeah, we're like barely twenty five percent of the way through the season. So yeah. Anyway, well, Rian, let's shift focus a little bit more towards another top team and potentially another top player in the Premier League. We've had our fair share of Erling Holland come in. Like I mentioned, Julian Alvarez having a wonderful season. We've even talked about Darwin Nunez and some of his flaws and and you know reasons to be excited about him. She talks a lot about top players in the league, but a player that I feel like has kind of, I don't want to say fallen off of the conversation, but at least maybe not gotten the flowers that he deserves. Mo Salah. He's got, I believe, nine goal contributions this season. Um, he scored two goals against Brighton, one of which was a penalty. I mean, Mo Salah is still one of the best players if not the, the best player right now in the Premier League correct it regardless of how you kind of well maybe not regardless of how you spin the narrative but yeah I would still say that he's one of if not the best player in the Premier League right now fair to is that fair to say yeah yeah I, I, I think so <laughs> like I I mean he's still one of the best players in the world honestly and and um you know it, the the contributions that he's giving to the team outside of goals is what's been I've, I feel like over the last couple maybe two three years is what has I think put him on that pedestal for me is the way that he contributes to the attack from a distribution to way like get, creating chances not just for himself right um in a team that needs that because you know most of the time their center midfielders are not the you know creativity hub right like they they need it from their um from their forwards and and a lot of their chances that they create too is obviously from their pressing and winning the ball back and basically what we saw for his um first goal i think it was against brighton where they win it at the halfway line and immediately as liverpool always are right in your ass (laughs) like as soon as they get the ball what a horrible image by the way And that's gonna get the clipped, but that is, is a horrible the ball thought. Is is straight down your ass, like as soon as you turn it over, um, <laughs> and and, uh, and no, he was too fantastic again on uh, on I think it was Saturday, and he obviously, like you said, nine goals and assists so far in the season leads the league in that, um, and yeah, as I was touching on, the like, first and expected assists per ninety. Not only the Premier League, but in Europe's big five leagues so far. So he, in my opinion, yes, is still the best player in the Premier League. And and is, you know, I, I don't know where he falls into it, but but almost definitely like one of the three or four best players in the world still. Couldn't agree more. Yeah, I thought I was muted. <laughs> Couldn't agree more. Um and here's the thing, too. You mentioned it a couple weeks ago. Liverpool, again, I'll harp on this point, do have an incredibly well-oiled machine in attack. We're talking about a team <clears throat> that, excuse me, over their last five, um, what's it called, Premier League games, have 2.2, 3.0, 1. 1.3, that was a Tottenham loss, 2.9, and 2.3 expected goals, respectively. So they're averaging well over two expected goals per game uh over the last several several matches and that, and that most, Tottenham game too they were playing 
like 70 minutes down mm-hmm. at least down at least one man and on top of that that was the game with one of the highest expected um uh what's it called uh goals allowed as well so even while they were still soaking up pressure they still managed to find a way basically through Mosal <laughs> to to ultimately um to try and at least draw level with Spurs so we're talking about a team that um and, and a player that I, like I said, I've been saying this for the last two weeks, will, I think, challenge for the title. Replays and stuff aside, I do think that this is a very good team. Um, we just know what their defensive leakage sort of looks like, uh, unfortunately. So we'll move on and let's talk about the rest of Europe, Rian. Um, I, I don't, I, I just want to, I want to say one thing and then we can talk about Chelsea and Spurs. Um do you think that Scott McTominay saved Ten Hag's job this weekend? Um, <laughs> I, I, my answer, honestly, my answer is no. But it's kind of funny to think that this man popped up and said, I, I can't do a Scottish accent, so I'm not going to. Um, but basically said, yeah, I'll just bin two and then go home. Like, just, <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I, I think... I, I'm with you. Probably did not save his job, but a loss in that game. Um, I don't know what United's upcoming fixtures are, but a, a loss in that game. And then you have that two weeks of the break and the noise builds and builds and builds. And then they come back from um, the break and they have Champions League games right after that mm-hmm. in a, and in a position where they have lost each of their first two games in that. And um, I, I don't know who they, I think they, I think Copenhagen is who they play. They have, they have back to back Copenhagen, but they do have uh, the Manchester Derby at the end of October and they mm-hmm. have uh, Newcastle in uh, the cup. So yeah, that's, so, that so, is tricky. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's just all things that build the pressure and the noise around the club. I mean, obviously on top of like the noise that partially was created by Ten Hag himself, plus the rest of the club, um, it, it would have put them in a tricky situation. I don't think that result changes anything about what this team is right now. Uh, they, they are still a bit hamstrung on, on injuries, um, but at the same time, they are still in a position where it seems like they have to play Casemiro every game, and he is deteriorating at mm-hmm. a rapid rate right now. Yeah, it's actually I, kind I of unfortunate know. to to see because um, I actually I want to double check this um, because I there's a part of me that doesn't think this is fully true. United might have the probably I would say the top three oldest squads in uh, in the Premier League right now. I'm struggling to think of who might be older, to be honest. But I would be oh, very I'll curious. I'll some, some checking in the background here. Yeah, please please check on me. And, and that's part of the problem for United. We know there are recruitment issues over the years. We know about the Glazers and their management issues of this club. Um, 10 billion, my butt. Uh, but point being like... United are an aging squad. They are a squad that are probably not going to be able to keep up in Europe. Um, 
at the same rate that they are right now, which they quite frankly are not doing very much of. Um, as we saw against Bayern, even though there were a couple of ridiculous chances that went in to make the scoreline look good. Um, I don't know what else there is to say about United other than the fact that this team, this club needs an overhaul. I feel really bad for the fans. I really do. And like, I don't normally say that about United. Like I have a lot of empathy for United fans right now because it's it, honestly like there is nothing that you could do if you're a fan of United. It's not even like you're a Barcelona fan. You can be like, Oh, let's start a GoFundMe. Like it's not even that like, from top down, the club has sort of become rotten. And I don't know how you fix that if you're Ten Hag. Like on the field, I don't know how you fix that. Um, and that's just, that is just a shame. Like the Sancho stuff aside, like I'm talking about structurally, um, this club has been so mismanaged into prioritizing the incorrect things, which are all largely, if not all monetary and business led, rather than the things that are on the field that would lead to higher revenue. But what do I know? Um, I'm just a guy with a podcast. Um, <laughs> I'm I'm done with my United rant, Rion. Um, did you find out who the old squads in the Premier League are by chance? So so United are in the bottom half. Um, really, I am surprised yeah, by that. I guess I yeah, guess they're, they're they are by... they are in the bottom half. Is what I was saying. Of bottom half of the league, bottom half in terms of um, age, oldest. Yeah, they're so one they're of the on the younger side. No, no, no. They're one of the oldest teams. Why are you using double negatives? Just tell me what they know. are. <laughs> what is this? I was sorting, when I say bottom half, I'm sorting age at the top. Okay, no one does that, but continue. Okay. <laughs> so the at the top, whatever. <laughs> anyway, yes, yeah. They're, they're... I said, who are the oldest teams? And you said, oh, they're in the bottom half of the oldest. Yeah, yeah, that's, that's <laughs> fair enough. That's a miscommunication. On, uh, there. But, I'm just um, feeling particularly chaotic, but yeah, go ahead. They are, they, they are, it looks like about the fifth oldest, tied with Liverpool and Brighton. There you actually. go. It's funny. Yeah. Um, but yeah, like, like I said, I, I don't think that result changes any changes much. They were not great in that game. They got their they got a couple goals late on in a pretty un in an extremely unsustainable way. <laughs> Route one to McTominay and Maguire. That's how they scored their two goals. Um, it, it <laughs> so we could. Uh, I don't have the energy that for that. this. Yeah. Um, but I mean, like, putting their very different wins for them, Chelsea and Spurs. Um, Spurs went down to 10 men them, themselves and end up winning at Luton. Um, Mickey Van de Ven getting the goal in the second half and a very nice assist from James Madison, who's been really good for, for them this season. Phenomenal. Um, and Chelsea amazingly put together their third straight win in all competitions. Um, <laughs> beating Burnley 4-1 and another very good game from Raheem Sterling. Uh, yeah, and, and, and Chelsea play Arsenal next, so life's about to come very fast. There's a, Chelsea's a pretty tough fixture list coming back from the break, so they'll learn a lot about a lot more about that team. Yeah. Um, I, I just want to give Chelsea some flowers um, because you've been saying this for weeks and I'll get, I'll give you some flowers as well after just roasting you for not understanding the concept of uh, <laughs> alphabetical or, or numerical order. Um, <laughs> I'll Chelsea are regressing back to the mean, but in this case, the mean is actually winning games. <laughs> like they were, there were, 
their performances on paper were so below average that it was absolutely bound to to end based on their output. Like it, it, it just, it cannot continue over the span of 38, you know, whatever it is games um, over the course of the season. It, it's psychotic. Um, and I feel like what you're seeing now is that regression to the mean, but that regression to the mean is not a regression. It's actually uh, an upwards curve. And you have to kind of give Pochettino credit for what I ultimately believe has not really been a significant change in the last several weeks of formation of tactics of personnel. Obviously, the injuries have hampered him. That won't hamper any manager, but take that aside. I feel like Chelsea have really stayed through, stayed true to their identity. And I think back to that West Ham game in which they lost, they were the better side for a majority of that game. And I don't see many differences in the way that they played over the last few weeks versus that game. And this is basically just luck <laughs> coming back to, <laughs> to serve them properly. Um, yeah. But I, I'll just shout out Pochettino for sticking to the it script. Is crazy. It's crazy how much better a team looks when the ball bundles. It just somehow finds a way into the net, right? <laughs> <laughs> it's, it, really I mean, it's true. People's outlook. It's um, true. Yeah, I think the only like minor change is is there is Enzo Fernandez has played more alongside Caicedo the last couple of weeks as opposed to where he was like the furthest forward of that midfield three, which includes Gallagher and um, Caicedo. But like finding the balance, and maybe that's something that just took time. Um, who knows? But moving on, also got to give me and Everton. Our flowers. Me, me. <laughs> Are you Michael Jordan? Because, <laughs> because I've been saying this team has been really unlucky for this almost for most of this season. Um and they were have been down like around relegation for for most of the first few weeks here. But Everton picking up a big win, beating Bournemouth 3 0. And their luck is turning around. Um, three wins in their last four in all competitions. And something that Elias had actually uh, this is pointed out to me. <laughs> uh, but, but, and, I, and I went in and confirmed it all. Everton. Yes, Everton. They have a higher non-penalty X, XG than... Manchester City. They are fourth in the league in non-penalty XG. This team creates chances. Like, uh, granted, I think they also lead in set play um, XG, so they're they're getting it from everywhere, right? Like this, it, it's nice to see that that what has been a very, 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 very depressing last few years for Everton. Um, it does feel like they are at least at least stabilizing. I, I'm not I'm not going to say necessarily like on the on the up. Um, I think they're getting more like the results that they that their performances have have deserved, but they're stabilizing and they do look, especially when Calvert Lewin is actually able to play. That's that's a pretty big thing too. That that's been a pretty big reason why they've been they've struggled the last couple seasons um but it is all good signs so far i think for for everton and i i I still think that they are comfortably better than any of the teams down at the bottom 
right now, and I don't think they're gonna work. They're gonna um, struggle much in terms of relegation. I'm gonna I'm gonna <laughs> I'm gonna say the same thing I said to you about Arsenal. You said at the end that you don't think that they will struggle much in terms of relegation. I can't, I can't, I cannot get on board with that. Not, not yet, not yet. Relegation. I know, I know, I know, I know. But here's what I will say: in every relegation or every basically major footballing league, there is effectively a points threshold for what relegation will will be. Usually in the Premier League, it's about what twenty five ish points, somewhere in there. Um, that's probably the, you want to get above 25 points to be historically safe. Everton currently on seven, but I guess the problem then what you're alluding to effectively are Luton, Burnley, Bournemouth, and Sheffield are all below them. And they have like one, three, and four points, like somewhere in, in, in that range. So Everton, what you are effectively saying to me is they just need to be better than those three to four teams. I fundamentally do believe that they are better and more talented than those teams. However, it's Everton. <laughs> and over the course of a over the course of a 38 game season, we have seen this team have their moments over the last several years in which they do go on runs. And you can't deny that they do have those moments in which all of a sudden Damari Gray or Dominic Calvert Lewin are playing like absolute their primes. And then after that, they come up against either a difficult fixture and the thing start the, the whole thing starts to unravel from there if it, it results in a loss. I can't confidently say, again, 25% in the season that Everton are all of a sudden going to be th- the new Brighton. Obviously, we're, I'm being facetious, but or, or even West Ham from last season. Like, I, not enough data points, not yet. But I will give you, I will give you enough kudos to say yeah freaking congratulations you kept a clean sheet against bournemouth of all teams um and you lost more non-penalty xg than man city and liverpool your darlings so (laughs) just saying and uh could you could you tell me about how they've conceded goals or xg allowed (laughs) i'd be very very curious pretty, about that. Yeah, you know, pretty middle. Actually, <laughs> but, you know, they're they're the top half. They're in the top half. Okay, <laughs> by like one. They're the top half by a few, actually. <laughs> so it's it's all pretty good right okay. now. All right, fair but, enough. Yes, fair of enough. course. If Calvert Lewin falls down the stairs, they are in a pretty shitty position. <laughs> <laughs> It's so rude. Anyway, all right. Um, well, every game this weekend, uh, on, on Sunday specifically, actually, uh, was a draw. Um, so we'll just wrap up with this, Rian. West Ham drawing Newcastle. Um, shout out, Mohamed Kudis. Um, yeah. That, yeah. Any, anything really else that you'd nice, like to share? On no, that no, really because... nice strike at the end. I think this is his first Premier League goal, not his first West Ham goal. But um, Yes. But, but yeah, no, Um West Ham, another team that should be fine. I think we'll be fine. We'll be mid-table. Maybe maybe they will sneak back into one of those um, European spots. But it is interesting. Like, you know, they are playing. They've now played, I think, in Europe for, I want to say this is the third straight season. Um, and 
is interesting to see that they are handling it pretty well the Thursday to Sunday and you know maybe is from having done it now for a couple se- for a few seasons the players are used to it it's obviously David Moyes is used to it um but it is impressive to see that they were able to to keep things going and not like fall off as I think we've seen teams do in the past when they when they're in Europe when you're not one of those big big teams right yeah yeah um, exactly yeah and then and then obviously to get that draw against Newcastle after they did terrible things to PSP <laughs> over the over like last week. You know, you know, we didn't get a chance to talk about this. Um, am I the only one that thinks that that scoreline was well well overinflated? Am I am I the a only bit. one that thinks that it was okay? A bit. Yeah, I, look, the the finishes were really good. I mean, also, well, a couple of the finishes were really good. <laughs> a couple of them, Donnarumma was absolutely terrible. So. <laughs> yeah. So, so maybe it maybe wasn't quite a four one. Um, I know that some Italian grandmother in Milan said a curse on that man ever since he <laughs> left. But but uh, but that PSG team is really really just dire to watch. Like, it like eighty percent possession and mm. creating nothing and creating just absolutely <laughs> nothing. Like, they created. Come on, they created friendship. Let's relax here. Like, <laughs> yeah, it's yeah. Mbappe and yeah. friends now. Mbappe's got his boys. He's got exactly. his boys. Yeah. <laughs> yep. That's that's true. He's happy for these next seven months before he leaves. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I mean, I'll just say this on the the PSG side because we're talking about Newcastle playing a four two four at St. James's park with that unbalance of a midfield against a midfield of <laughs> Joe Ellington, Bruno Gamarish and um, basically. John Longstaff. Yeah. John Longstaff uh, scored a goal in that I game. Know, I mean, come I on, man. Yeah, because he was afforded the space of having the entire midfield. If you gave me that space, I would also score a goal. Not actually, but because I'm. Totally <laughs> yeah, yeah, thank you. Yeah. yeah no, that, you. Let's, let's be real for a minute. Um, uh, but when I say the scoreline was inflated, like we're talking about a goal that was scored when <laughs> when someone is on their ass, when the PSG team decided to look at the referee to determine whether someone was offside instead of actually defending. Um, Usman Dembele missing two beautiful chances, which right, by yeah, the way, I, been, obviously, obviously yeah. <laughs> like that's come on. What I can't, I can't talk through my PTSD. Yeah. I can't do that. Okay. <laughs> Come on. That, that's yeah, just, know. We know that's going to happen. I know. Uh, so, anyway, that's all I say about the PSG Newcastle thing. I need a break before I talk about the league. Now, I got to collect my thoughts on. Oh, God, I'm getting flashbacks. <laughs> Dead belly, why? Okay. Break time. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back for the La Liga portion of the podcast. Uh, there are par- portions of this podcast that may or may not have been uh, recorded last week, uh, but to be honest, it did not get properly recorded audio-wise uh, where we're recording, just because, quite frankly, I did not have the technology set up while I was traveling to do that. Um, but we're here to talk about it anyway, and we want to start in a little bit of an unorthodox way, not necessarily talking about the Madrid Derby or anything like that. We talked about it last week. If you do want to listen to our thoughts on it, feel free to go back. Um, but we want to start start off talking about two teams I just wanted to give a little bit of love to. Two teams that have not really gotten that much love from us this season, but have absolutely done, frankly, immaculately well um, over the course of the season thus far. And those two teams that I'm talking about while I wipe my fingers of chicken that somehow made it on there, um, the two teams that I'm talking about are Girona and Real Sociedad. 
Ryan, if I were to tell you that Girona, who have only lost one game this season, and that was to uh, Real Madrid uh, at the the end of last month, if I were to tell you that they lost their top scorer, Tati Castellanos, from last season, they lost their central defensive midfielder in Oriol Romeo to Barcelona, as we know, they lost their best winger in Raquel Mee, and they lost their best center back in, um, in Santi... Oh gosh, what's his name? Santi uh, Bueno, I believe. Um, if I were to tell you a team lost all of those things, you'd probably be thinking either A, did they get better reinforcements and went on just like a selling spree, or B, when will they be in the relegation zone? And Drona have shot up to, at one point <laughs> in the last couple of weeks, to top of the table. Uh, and this isn't like top of the table two or three weeks in. This is top of the table now like we're talking seven weeks in to the season and that is nothing short of impressive. Um, and prior to losing to Real Madrid, they were top of the, the table. So it was quite literally first versus second and they had won four games in a row for the first time in their La Liga history. Um, and it was quite frankly, just really incredible to watch. And there were, are only, I believe four teams that have not been La Liga champions with as many points as they had in their first seven games um, Girona is now one of those, those teams. And look, I'm not here to say Girona are going to win La Liga. I'm not here to even say that they will finish in the top four. Um, but I will say is it is nothing short of impressive and it is not a coincidence that they are firmly in a top four position. Um, despite just losing to, to Real Madrid, they're performing very, very well. In fact, they're, I believe a point above Barcelona after they drew to freaking Granada who are second to last in the table um over this past weekend so yeah oh and i should point out they're i believe they're the team with the most points from or one of the teams from uh with the most points from losing positions as well so this is just nothing short of impressive yeah i, I think what's probably even more impressive you know a lot of the times when we see these teams who are Talent-wise and, and obviously like budget-wise too, like a bottom half side and and one that could flirt with relegation. Um, when we see them shoot up the table like this, usually you look at their underlying numbers and it's like, oh, they got pretty lucky in a few of these games and yes, other team can finish and they end up getting a goal here or there. But what's been really impressive is that they're actually fifth in terms of expected goal difference in the league. So they have genuinely been one of the best teams in Spain. And that is extremely impressive. Um, I, I don't know if it also is a bit soured by their, the club's affiliation with Manchester city and being one of the um, clubs under the city football group. You know, the, it, it does yeah. give them an advantage on the, on teams around them, I should say, not necessarily an advantage over like Barcelona or Real Madrid or, mm -hmm. or Atletico Madrid, of course, right? But um, for those other teams that are like bottom half budget sides, um, it does give them an advantage because, in, in theory, even though I, even though they will try to tell you that it doesn't happen, they do have they must have access to the scouting network mm -hmm. of the entire city football group right of course. Like, there's just no shot that they're like in isolation and have no clue what 
City's team in like Brazil, (laughs) (laughs) like the players they're scouting, right? So um, it it does sour it a little bit, of course, of course. But um, you can't take anything away from the actual performance on the pitch, right? Yeah. And that's true. And there, there are two things I just want to say on the city football group piece. And um, first thing I'll say is it's bizarre to me that a football group is able to own just multiple football teams and uh, just treat them effectively the same. Like it, it feels, it feels like a hack, uh, but there's kind of like the, the opposite point to all of this, which is kind of like how much of Jonas's success do we really just attribute to the city group and to give you some context, like directly as it relates to the city group and Girona, Girona only have two players on loan um, from city group teams. One, I believe, actually may have been purchased in the summer, um, but they only have uh, two players on loan and maybe one that they, they did purchase. Um, six players came in over the summer. Two of them came on on loan, one on a free. Um, and I think their salary limits like, 50 million euros for the year so it's not like they're like their salary a little bit is again to your point like barcelona real madrid atletico level which is hundreds of millions per year um it's it's kind of impressive that they've still done that on a small budget um so there's kind of like a flip side to it and i don't know how to feel about it um the one thing to keep in mind for Girona too and in in the context of their schedule is outside of Real Madrid, um, and they played Cadiz uh, this past weekend as well, and Cadiz currently sit, um, I think, in the bottom half of the table. Yeah, they are in the bottom half of the table. Um, none of the teams that they've beaten, including Cadiz now, are, or when they played them, higher than 10th. So Sevilla, Granada, Mallorca, Villarreal, Las Palmas, Hitafe, they're not top half teams. And in order to stay in the top half slash top four, um, you, you do have to beat the teams around you. So it's going to be really interesting to see how they play against the teams that are around them, as in the Barcelonas, the Real Madrid's, the Atleticos. <clears throat> Excuse me. I'm even very curious to see how they do against Sociedad, Bilbao, right? Betis, like the, those are the type of teams that they are going to need to beat in order to stay closer to the top or top four um, kind of conversation. So that's just all to be, uh, to be seen because, you know, we're only like eight games in the season. <laughs> Yeah, never, nevertheless, you know, obviously a big achievement for the coach, the coaching staff and those, and those players, right? A hundred percent, a hundred percent. So the other, the other team, like I mentioned around at the beginning, um, Real Sociedad, um, and specifically Take Kubo and as well, um, Oyathabal, both of whom have started very well, but I just want to take a second to acknowledge Take Kubo, who has played for like six clubs, uh, like already in his like professional career. And he is only 22. Um, he has played for, gosh, let me, if I can remember every single one correctly, Real Madrid, Mallorca, Villarreal, Hetafe, Real Sociedad. Uh, why do I feel like he was at Barcelona at some point? Yes. in his youth career is at Barcelona. So like the six clubs effectively and like all throughout Spain. Um, I'm, I'm just kind of like floored at the way that he's taken the like this team to the next level in the league uh we're talking about a team that's currently sits in in sixth place and is in the champions league quite frankly should have beat inter by a country mile in their first champions league match of the season they did win their second um fairly comfortably as well 
And this is their first Champions League win in 20 years. Like, that is astounding. And both Oryathabal and Takekubo have scored over four goals. Um, and Oryathabal has scored something like four goals in the last four games in all competition, which is like more than entire season's worth that he had before. <laughs> and Takekubo similarly has five and seven. Um, and fun fact, he has more man of the match awards this season than Jude Bellingham. So it's just, it is really, really fascinating to see how he has come sort of into his own, especially after, I think his spell of Villarreal was, was really telling Hitafe a little less so because Bordelas is a psycho man. Um, and then <laughs> I'll just wrap up this thought with, not to put him on a, such a pedestal, but the only two players with more goal contributions than him right now are Lewandowski, who's currently injured probably through the rest of the month, and that Birmingham kid. So <laughs> he, he's in very good company. Uh, and I, you know, we're, we don't need to talk about Jude. We're not talking about Jude this week. It, we're, we're not. That, that was funny. Actually, um, you know what? Not until the Classico. How about that? Thanks. Not that was, yeah, not this yeah. week. Yeah, yeah. We got, we got a couple of weeks, right? Um, Unfortunately. <laughs> yeah, the, the, the one thing I'll say on, on um, Take Kubo is that it's just a really another really good example that development is not linear like at all right like it's yeah it's not not always linear i should say like you know some guys are like aliens and just immediately from when they are 16 17 <laughs> just start shooting up and they never <laughs> stop right but but um it's not always like that most of the time it's not like that especially when you're jumping from team to team to team to coat to different coaches different environments even if it's all within the same country right but um i think just for him personally that's really impressive that he's like persevered through all of that and become a, the player that he is now and and maybe that's come with just the stability of being associated out for the last few seasons right so again props to him um for not letting that kind of chaotic beginning to his senior first team career um, like hamper his development as a player. It's true. It's true because a lot of players would have absolutely suffered in those environments. Uh, like th that's not just me saying it. it I've, I've, we've all seen it. Um, so massive, massive credit to Saka Kubo for that. It's a really good point. I'll just finish on on this note, Rian. Um, I just want to give a forward-looking statement almost to uh, Barcelona and our our, our future. Um, I don't know if we have any starters left at this point. Um, I'm, I'm convinced that my team is cursed. Um, I'm convinced that we just won't have a full squad this entire season. I mean, we're talking about Lewandowski, Rafinha, Frankie de Jong, Pedri, uh, Kunde now, and um, Gavi also picked up a knock in Spain training. So that's six starters right there uh, that, that are going to be injured at least through the end of the month um, and probably into November. So um, yeah, I'm thrilled uh, because if you look at our upcoming fixtures, we've got, I don't even know who we have. I know we have the Classico at the end of the month, which unfortunately we'll probably watch together. Um, so I'm thrilled about that. If you can't hear in my voice um, and then, Oh yes, of course that was the game I was thinking of we play Bilbao before that. And then real Sociedad right after that. Yay, both of whom are 
right behind us in the table. Um, so yeah, thrilled. Oh man, lots of <sighs> midfielders going down. Dude, where's Franck Kessier? Yeah, <laughs> uh, somewhere, <laughs> somewhere <laughs> getting a bag in in Saudi Arabia. <laughs> respect, respect to him. Um, yeah. Not and, and I mean Sergio Roberto is always available. Obviously, he scored so nice. No, that 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 that, that doesn't hurt at all. Yeah, he scored an offside goal that was shouldn't have been offside. I love when that happens. That's all I've got. That's a, that's that's it. That's, I don't okay. Uh, well, we can end on tangentially Spain, um, a Real Madrid player that kind of never really was. Um, Who's that? Eden Hazard. Ah, a familiar retired, name. Retired today. Um, he did. I, I, I'm not going to go too deep into this, but for a guy who was my favorite Chelsea player that I can ever remember watching, the best Chelsea player that I've watched in my time as being a fan and someone who was always one of the best players in the world. Um, it was for like a good six, seven year span there. Um, props to him. The guy didn't really like soccer that much. It seemed, or didn't, <laughs> you know, like, like I mean, he or, liked or, it. or just general fitness. Yeah. You know, he didn't like it. He didn't care that much. Like, you know, <laughs> he, he didn't like playing soccer as much as everyone else. Mm-hmm. Sue him. Um, I'm sure some people would like to sue him, but, but, but the guy was just one of the most like naturally gifted footballers, um, of his generation and, uh, hoping for the best in him in retirement and, uh, hope he gets to relax kind of fully expecting like within the next few years, he starts looking like Ronaldo, like Dude, Brazilian I Ronaldo. Had, I had the <laughs> same thought just now. I literally was like, "Yeah, I can't." I, the, honestly, the honestly, God, the thought that came to my mind was, "I can't wait to see him in like a charity match in like three, four years, where it's just belly out, not a care in the world, <laughs> just giving me my croissants and whatever." Yeah, yeah, yeah. So yeah, hats off to him, guy. The guy. Really just played whenever he felt like it. Um, and it was, and when he felt like it, he was unbelievable. Um, but yeah, props to, to Eden Hazard. Hope, hope a legend. Retirement. I'm sure a legend of the game. Oh, for sure. For sure. Well, with that, ladies and gentlemen, we'll wrap up on a, on a positive note. Thank you as always for listening. We will give you our thoughts when we get back from the US uh, Germany game. Don't know if I have extremely high hopes for that, but um, yeah, that's that's going to be a time anyway. Um, who is even Germany's? Oh, Julian Nagelsmann, right? Yeah, we get to yeah, see. Um, I think it'll be like his second match as as coach. Yeah, that'll be exciting. Um, are you are you planning on bringing like a beer or something to try and share with him at the game? <laughs> no, I'm not insinuating Rion's throwing beer. By the way, let me phrase that. Yeah, there, yeah. There, throw that yeah. out there. Relax, no pun intended relax. with a throw. Um, no, no, maybe, maybe I can like slip him a, a letter to like, hey, <laughs> two years, two, three years from now, when you are, <laughs> you know, get fired again somehow from coaching because people think you're too young or whatever. You get him back to you can coach the U.S. Maybe, maybe we could like do something to just plant the seed. 
I'm going to make you a paper airplane to throw. And it just says 2026 (laughs) question mark. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Anyway. Well, thank you as always, ladies and gentlemen, for listening. We'll be back next week. We will talk to you all very, very soon. Thanks guys.